Hello, folks. Welcome to the BJJ Tap Podcast. Tap. I'm your host, Mose Jones Yellen. I'm a purple belt training at Team Link in Hooksit, New Hampshire. Team Link! And this is the second episode of my podcast. The topic that I'm going to be talking about today is at the very heart of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's one of those things that is so emblematic of the art, so revered by this community. What's it going to be? That I decided to name the entire podcast after it. I'm going to be talking about the tap. And in the first part of this episode, I'm going to be talking mainly about how the tap is perceived outside the martial arts community and how it helps shape the culture of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Hmm. In the second part of this episode, I'm going to be reviewing a piece of gear, the Motion Master Training Dummy, which I used this morning. And uh, that's from Eric Paulson and Rev Gear. And it's a piece of gear I've worked with since I was a white belt. And it's, it's far and away the best thing I've used for solo training. So that's what's on the menu today. Sounds delicious. This is episode two of the BJJ Tap Podcast. Let's get started. What? This is less of an issue for me now because I've gotten better about keeping my mouth shut. You sure? But when I first got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for several years, I was so excited about it, so enthusiastic about it, that I'd bring it up for no good reason with coworkers and people at the dog park and just whoever I happened to be talking to. All the and time. it rarely went well. Like never. Um... I'm sure there are plenty of casual acquaintances out there who wrote me off as a violent sociopath, or if they were being generous, maybe they figured I was just a meathead who had, thank goodness, found a way to channel my pent-up rage into something therapeutic. They're probably right. Either way, a lot of people raised an eyebrow in the midst of those conversations, and I really can't blame them for it. Jiu-Jitsu, just as a topic of conversation, it, it tends to generate a strange mix of both curiosity and aversion. And some strange looks. You know, most people will accept that there's a certain value to the skills involved, and, and they get some of the appeal, but there's apprehension about the training experience and the risk of injury, and they worry about the psyche and motives of adults who are into the martial arts. I think grapplers in particular. Grapplers are weird. The thought of submitting other people and being submitted by other people sets off warning bells. Plenty of people are immediately transported back to childhood tropes where some alpha jerk on the playground would rough up the weaker kids. Bullies. Or they jump to kinky bondage stuff. You've got to laugh it off and find the words to explain yourself. Man, everybody's got a kink. And there are people who have experienced real violence and have no interest in brushing up against it in casual conversation. So, I've gotten better about keeping jujitsu out of my dog park banter. Mostly. But, every once in a while, if someone is inquisitive, and if I think they might give me the benefit of the doubt, I'll venture out on that limb and do my best to shed some light on what I love about this art. I'll explain how much joy I get from doing something that's both physically and mentally difficult, how good it feels to leave my stress at the door and step onto the mat, just flow, and I'll reassure them about how safe it all is. And I'll try to explain the tap. Well, thanks in large part to the UFC, the tap is common knowledge for most people, whether or not they have any martial arts experience. It's an immediately legible gesture, a transparent communication between two people, you know, the identification of a moment just on the carefree side of catastrophe. It's a moment. And those moments resonate with people. There's something relatable, 
Something visceral that can be felt by anyone witnessing it. To the bone. It's like a swing and a miss in baseball. Even if you've never stepped up to the plate yourself, you recognize that something meaningful has happened. You can feel the batter's anticipation, the exertion of his swing, and his immediate disappointment matched by the pitcher's spark of elation as the ball slaps into the catcher's mitt. Strike one. There's a little narrative of emotional journey that a stadium full of people can ascribe to those two athletes. The tap is similar. It's a gesture that marks something significant. And from the outside looking in, it's natural to construct a little narrative for the athletes involved. He tells a story. But tapping in a grappling match means something very different from striking out at home plate. True. When a baseball player steps into the batter's box, everyone in the stadium knows they're about to find out if he has the skill, the reflexes, the instincts to swing a bat and hit a ball that's thrown past him with as much speed, skill, and cunning as the pitcher can muster. The batter and the pitcher are pitted against each other. Mano a mano. And their contest is wrapped in a heavy blanket of metaphor. In jiu-jitsu, when two athletes step on the mat, the veil of metaphor is flimsy. When an athlete taps, everyone there knows who would live to fight another day and who would not. Heavy. That isn't the sort of revelation that most people seek out in their recreational activities. People don't want to know. People want to pretend. And to be fair, the vast majority of submissions don't occur in competitive circumstances. They occur behind closed doors in the training room. Keep it playful. And the sparring sessions more closely resemble tangled up tumbling games rather than battles to the death. Amongst experienced grapplers, rolling is a give and take, a physical chess match. Grapplers' personalities, their character emerges when they spar. There's authenticity. Some are stubborn and insistent. Others are yielding and tricky. Some are inclined to take risks. Others are measured and methodical. Often, the exchange is playful and exploratory. Sometimes it's more competitive. Some dudes go hard. A spirited debate with players probing each other's positions for weaknesses, making assertions and crafting compelling arguments, building towards an unassailable conclusion. The tap. Tap, tap. And the tap doesn't come out of the blue like a home run or a head kick. It's no puncher's chance. It's rarely a surprise for either person involved. In the cases where it might be a surprise, it's surprising in the way that a novel you're reading might take an unexpected turn. Hmm. If the story is well-crafted, all the pieces of the puzzle are laid out from the start, and the surprise comes as the author ties the threads together in an unanticipated way. At the conclusion, the reader can look back and appreciate the author's skill and creativity. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is like that. The tap that ends the match is the culmination of a long string of moves and counter moves. Usually, both athletes know exactly what their opponent is doing. Even if they don't know precisely what the other person has in mind, the player who will ultimately submit recognizes their vulnerability long before they're forced to tap. It's chess. For folks who are new to grappling, a room full of people rolling looks and sounds like chaos. The idea of wading into that churning mass of bodies can be both exhilarating and intimidating. Little butterflies. A bit of bravery is a prerequisite. Flutter, flutter. There's a metaphor that people use to describe the experience that newcomers sometimes have when they roll with high-level practitioners. It's eye-opening. The newbie is a child who hasn't yet learned to swim. The experienced grappler, the ocean. 
As the role begins, there's a sense of unfamiliarity and panic that rises in the child. He or she exerts themselves in wild, uncoordinated ways. It's an exercise in futility. You can't fight the tide. They're out of their depth. The ocean moves them this way and that, and eventually the newcomer is exhausted, and the ocean drags them below the surface, and it ends. Being confronted with that helplessness, that vulnerability, is an eye-opening experience for people. It's uncomfortable, especially for athletic men who grew up playing sports and they're accustomed to being physically capable. That feeling of vulnerability is often laced with fear. But for most people, the fear dissipates after the first couple rolls. And it's not because they've become any more capable on the mat. It's because they get first-hand experience with the tap. They begin to understand the culture of a community that's been molded by the tap. Underpinning the most ferocious sparring sessions is a mutual regard that is reinforced again and again. The tap is the method of reinforcement. Huh. It's a beautiful, reliable, instantaneous off switch that anyone can flip at any time with zero consequences. After the tap, you untangle yourselves, you grin, you bump knuckles, and you roll again. No harm, no foul. Slap, bump, roll. The tap is an agreement between training partners to safeguard each other's well-being. It's a pact. The tap allows a room full of grapplers to spar at near full intensity, day after day, with minimal risk of injury. This is untenable in striking arts. If people stepped into a karate or taekwondo class and sparred from day one, you'd end up with some sort of Tyler Durden fight club situation. You're not a beautiful snowflake. But in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's the norm. Brazilian jiu-jitsu is an art of control. The skills we learn are aimed at controlling a non-cooperative opponent, aimed at systematically removing a person's physical options until they are left with no choice but to stop their struggling or suffer catastrophic injury. Or, in the case of strangles, the choice is to stop struggling or be put to sleep. In striking arts, practitioners learn the ins and outs of a different method of managing physical conflict. Striking skills are aimed at inflicting and avoiding damage until your opponent is incapable of continuing the fight. For the person on the short end of the stick, there's a world of difference between getting dominated by a jiu-jitsu guy and getting dominated by a kickboxer. Whew. And while striking arts use sparring as a training tool, it's usually not until students have been practicing for months, maybe years, and some dojos don't spar at all. In jiu-jitsu, we roll from day one. If you're doing it right. We roll and tap a dozen times every single class. Often, we'll shortchange the instructor's demonstrations and half-ass the drilling, all so we can have more time to roll. Some classes will start with light rolling as a warm-up. At open mats, nine out of 10 people will do nothing but roll until they're exhausted. It's so much fun. We roll across weight classes. We roll with the opposite sex. We roll with complete strangers. And outside of competition, there's no need for referees. Third-party oversight is generally unnecessary. No rest needed. And the ethos of safeguarding your training partners extends beyond the individual you're paired with. Experienced grapplers routinely keep a watchful eye when large newcomers roll with smaller players, or when women roll with unvetted men. Mm -hmm. The functionality of the tap depends on reliable training partners who can maintain unwavering physical and emotional control. It requires and fosters, amidst all this intense sparring, an unusually level-headed mindset. It trains practitioners not only to establish outright physical dominance, but also to protect each other at the most vulnerable moments. It's critical. The tap 
It ingrains a Pavlovian ability to release submissions at the smallest signal from our partners, and the confidence that our training partners will do likewise. Nothing gets you shunned by the community faster than disrespect in the tap. It isn't infallible. Grappling is a hard physical pursuit from start to finish, and anyone who trains will have the bumps and bruises to show for it. But the tap removes the prospect of serious injury, and that changes everything about our training experience. It fosters an unexpectedly conscientious and often playful atmosphere on the mat. Keep it playful. It's one of the reasons that people are drawn to this art. I understand that from the outside looking in, it can appear violent and deviant, but from the inside looking out, it feels remarkably healthy and safe, both physically and emotionally. In the outside world, submission carries a certain stigma, but on the mat, the tap marks a moment where something is taught, and something is learned, and mutual trust is validated. The tap assures us that we are not castaways at the mercy of a malevolent sea. We can set our minds at ease and focus on learning how to swim. Are you insane? Yes. Is that a problem for you? Half a pound of sugar. Strong black coffee. Strong black coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Boiling hot. Next on the agenda, what's on the menu? We're going to be reviewing the Motion Master Grappling Dummy. It's built and sold by RevGear, and it was designed in partnership with Eric CSW. This really is one of my favorite pieces of gear. I bought it early on when I got serious about training, you know, that first year of jujitsu when I really buckled down, talking to everybody at the dog park. And I've used it uh, pretty much on a daily basis near daily basis ever since. Mm -hmm. And uh, the designer, like I said, is Eric Paulson, who's one of these old school NHB legends. The old bard. Bunch of fights in the 90s in like the US and Japan and whatnot. And he was one of the guys uh, who was in that original Gracie train behind Hoist in the first UFC. So Dude, you've been around the block. Let's start with what it looks like. Uh, it's a pretty simple piece of equipment. You can see the evolution. It was obviously started off as a punching bag that someone took off the chains and threw on the floor and was training neon belly transitions and ground and pound and that sort of stuff. But the design has evolved. So instead of being the cylindrical punching bag, this is a more rectangular affair. It's wider than it is tall. You know, it's about at the widest point, you know, it's got these four nubs at the shoulders and the hips. At the widest point, it's a little under two feet wide and it rises, you know, about a foot off the floor. Uh, so it's it's a little squat, you know, the website calls it the alligator shape. Jacare. It has these four nubs which are about the size of two, you know, two good handfuls of punching bag material at the shoulders and at the hips. Or really, it's double-ended. Hmm. So two sets of shoulders on either side. The bag itself is, uh, you know, it's a little under five feet long from one end to the other. And above those nubs, it's narrowed at the what would be the neck and the head. And it's a little thicker. It's not actually as thin 
as someone's neck would be. It's definitely like wider than a neck would normally be. It's it's actually wider than you would want if you were practicing uh, guillotines, but it is a good width for leg triangles, you know, that sort of deal. So it's a double end bag with a torso, shoulders on both sides, and a narrowed neck on both sides. They can find a picture. And, Revgear.com. Uh, I named mine Bob because, you know, there's a stupid joke about, you know, what do you call a guy with no arms and no legs in the ocean? And, you know, Bob. Oh, it's a terrible joke. You got dad jokes? So, that's what it is. It's a, it's a dummy with no arms, no legs. Uh, and it's pretty solid. It weighs uh, in the neighborhood of 50, 55 pounds. Bear hug squats. You know, it's a black Cordura fabric. Um sort of that heavy Carhartt canvas. And when you look at it, there's some really solid construction details. You know, it comes pre-stuffed. Thank goodness. And the zipper has uh, nice little flaps over it so that you don't have to worry about uh, scraping your knuckles or your shoulder or whatever against the metal teeth of the zipper. And the nubs at the shoulders uh, are actually raised towards the top of the bag. So the bag does have a front and a back, which is really excellent because when you're digging underhooks, there is that space for you to slide your arm beneath the nub. Mm. And that's really uh, that's really critical to the value of this bag. And there's a simplicity and a durability to the design that I really enjoy. I've had mine for years now, and I don't often practice strikes with it. it it was designed as an mma training tool so you know when you when you look up eric paulson's videos he's throwing elbows and hammer fists and that sort of stuff have you seen the dude who break dances on the back ha. and i could see how that would definitely be more wear and tear than i've put on it but i'm using it pretty hard and i'm a big guy and it's held up wonderfully all right let's talk about the design a little bit it's pretty good um because these shoulder nubs and the torso and the neck are really brilliant because the shape of this bag is really helpful in encouraging you, encouraging me to develop proper form when I'm moving around on top of this bag. It mimics the control points on a person's body. And the entire idea behind supplemental training you know, work that you're doing outside of class, off the mat, is that there are benefits you can gain by focusing on specific attributes. You know, the attribute might be strength or endurance or agility, mobility. You know, these are things that are separate from your skills as a grappler, but have a huge impact on how you perform in grappling matches. That sounds kind of obvious. And good training equipment facilitates exercises, facilitates movements that place demands on the specific attribute that you're trying to improve. Right. You know, it's very common for people to lift weights. The intent is to improve their strength, right? Their ability to move heavier objects. These repeated demands lead to physical adaptations. Oh, the body's amazing. And we improve whatever attribute it is that we're stressing out. That's the idea. You know, and, and when you're thinking about 
these supplemental training activities, you want to be thinking about doing sport-specific stuff. Ideally. You know, you want to be doing exercises that relate directly to grappling performance. You want to be placing physical demands on yourself that mirror the demands that would be involved in a grappling match. Can you combine technique improvement with the improvement of attributes? Skill acquisition paired up with athletic improvement. And you also want to be choosing exercises that have a low risk of injury, uh, you know, and don't involve a lot of time learning a new skill. You know, this is part of the reason why I shy away from uh, Olympic lifting, because it's very, it's technique dependent. There are better ways to get those benefits. And people end up with injuries that are totally separate from the run of the mill injuries that you end up with in grappling. And like if, if you're doing something supplemental on the side to improve your grappling, it really sucks to hurt yourself. Uh, and have to take time off of your primary activity just because you did something unfortunate in a secondary activity like Olympic weightlifting. Swimming is similar. Like swimming can have huge benefits. People rarely get hurt in the pool. You don't get hurt swimming. But it is a skill-intensive activity. So for me, I'm a fine swimmer. You're mediocre. But I know that if I got into swimming as my, uh, you know, my cardiovascular activity, I I could easily get sucked into improving and perfecting my, my swimming strokes. And that, that would be a total distraction because I'm not really interested in being a great swimmer. Ah, but it's easy on the joints. Anyway, as a couple of examples of workout gear that facilitates particular demands, you know, one of the classic ones is the jump rope. The jump rope forces you to maintain a certain pace. You know, it's excellent for endurance, cardiovascular demands. Get that bounce. The jump rope will not function unless you're maintaining a pace that is uh, physically demanding. And one of the struggles of working out on your own, away from training partners and whatnot, is maintaining an appropriate level of intensity, maybe for you. And the jump rope can be really helpful with that. Music can be helpful with that. Timers can be helpful with that. Heart rate monitors. One of the challenges of working out alone is doing it at a pace that really has benefits. Any pace can have benefits. Another example is slam balls, right? Slam ball exercises, you can imagine people throwing those things around and slamming them down into the floor. Uh, these are these are full body explosive movements. Caveman workouts. and if you do that repeatedly, it trains your body to recruit the entire kinetic chain, you know, from the balls of your feet to your fingertips coordination. And there's huge benefits for that in terms of your athletic performance on the mat. Uh, much more relevant than uh, your typical barbell exercises, isolated muscular group exercises, where you can gain strength, but that strength doesn't necessarily translate itself to athletic performance. Um, slam ball, excellent for power, excellent for full body uh, recruitment, you know, and you don't have to decelerate the weight, which means you're not getting that eccentric loading 
There have been studies that indicate that the eccentric loading is where a lot of the hypertrophy takes place, a lot of the demands on the muscle that lead to increases in size. And if you're a grappler and you're most concerned with strength to weight ratios, hypertrophy is not what you're interested in. You want to gain power. Uh, So when you're doing strength and conditioning, it's worthwhile to think about avoiding those eccentric contractions. Some people want to get bigger. Um, So throwing exercises are are really excellent for grapplers. Uh, But let's bring it back to the motion master dummy. Yeah, you got distracted. What I use it most for is developing endurance, cardio is king, and agility and top pressure in a way that is smothering top pressure. Completely sport-specific. It's so specific to grappling that the repetitions I have on the motion master uh, are also building excellent technical habits. You know, because of the way the motion master is constructed, I'm developing the habit of digging underhooks, digging the cross face, uh, sliding my knee up beneath a person's elbow. All of those habits are coming because I have checkpoints on the dummy. Right, so typically what I'll do is I'll pick three or four different types of movements and I'll work with an interval timer and I'll do maybe 40 seconds of work, 10 seconds of transition, and I'll run through each of those movements three or four times. Right, the total workout might take 12 minutes. Um, if I'm getting closer to competition. I actually shorten the time so I'm working at a higher intensity for maybe 30 seconds of work for whatever the length of my match is. You know, if I'm I'm anticipating six-minute matches, uh, it'll last six minutes. If I'm anticipating eight-minute matches, it'll last eight minutes, whatever. So when I choose the different movements I'm going to alternate between, sometimes I'll pick a specific grouping or pairing of techniques, you know, so it might be, okay, I'm going to knee slice for the first 30 seconds. I'm going to backstep for the next 30 seconds. And I'm going to Toriando for the final 30 seconds. And I'll run through that three times, you know, nine rounds, 30 seconds a piece, three different passes. Or uh, what's very common, if I do like longer rounds, I'm doing like 90 seconds of work, I'll move around the dummy at different ranges, right? So first round might be applying pressure through my knee. So it'd be a lot of uh, transitioning knee on belly stuff, a lot of spinning, you know, around through north-south, a lot of knee cut, a lot of those sorts of things, maintaining my knee and my shin in contact and like driving into the dummy at that range. And then the second range might be hip pressure, right? So I'll be, you know, belly to belly with the dummy, heavy hips, pressing through the pelvis, sliding off uh, through side control, through mount, um, using pressure through the hips. And the third round might be shoulder pressure, right? So I'm, I'm envisioning myself driving my shoulder into the person's chest or into the person's abdomen, tripod it up, and, you know, maybe sliding out of half guard or, or, you know, long back steps, that sort of thing. Moving around the dummy at those three ranges 
and doing it with a level of intensity that approximates what I expect during the match. You know, I kind of like when you're pretending to be an animal, right? And you decide, all right, I'm going to grapple like a boa constrictor. And you provide that squeeze as you move around a person, you know, absorbing, taking up all the space. It's a, a tight, wet blanket boa constrictor. And, and your, your second movement could be like, no, 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 I'm going to be, I'm going to be a spider monkey. And spider monkeys, to my mind, they've got excellent leg dexterity. You know, they're placing feet in position around the, the dummy as they move, you know, and so you're sliding, you're leading with your feet, you're taking big back steps and you're stepping over guard and sliding your legs in nice and precise. And the third one could be, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to be a bull. You know, I'm going to put my shoulder down. I'm going to tripod up. I'm just going to drive with stubborn power through this dummy into the floor with all the strength and weight that I can muster. So if I'm trying to maintain a certain level of intensity for the course of, say, 16 or 20 minutes, you know, I'm looking to get my heart rate. Uh, for me, to get my heart rate up into like the 140s, maybe low 150s, you know, to maintain for 20 minutes. And that might vary if I'm looking to go super hard for a shorter duration. I might be trying to get up to, you know, 175, 180 in my heart rate. And you can go hard on a dummy. I won't be able to maintain that, but I'll alternate between that high intensity movement and maybe something where I take 30 seconds off, you know? So let's talk a little bit about the pros and cons. On the con side, there's the constant knock on grappling dummies where they don't do any good if you're not using them. And the reality is there's plenty of people with grappling dummies bundled up in the closet just collecting dust. So if you don't have a routine, a habit, of working out solo in your home, you know, on a daily basis or whatever the routine is, it's a little optimistic to think that you're going to purchase this piece of equipment and all of a sudden develop that habit. No, you won't. I would definitely recommend if you think working out at home is something you're going to be doing, find the space to do it and find a way to make it a part of your routine before you start spending money on stuff like the Motion Master. Yeah, that's probably good advice. There's a lot you can do with body weight stuff. And for strength and conditioning, a single kettlebell is way more convenient and way cheaper than a grappling dummy. Some people hate dummies. So that's the second con on the Motion Master. It's not cheap. It's 250 250 bucks on the website and another $50 for shipping and handling. So it's $300, three bills. And that's a chunk of money, especially to purchase it without being able to test it out. There's not a lot of places where you can show up and actually put your hands on it, take a look at it. Um, so you're, you're kind of buying sight unseen, which, you know, for some people, $300 isn't that big a deal. But uh, for a lot of people, $300 is something to think about. And then there's the reality that there's limited bottom game 
that you can play with this thing. I do do some work off my back with triangles and butterfly sweeps. You gotta be creative. It's actually really helpful for sliding in and pulling half guard or pulling ashigurami, but it shines with working the top game, working the bottom game. There's there are fewer options. So if you're looking to improve your guard, there's probably other things out there that I would recommend. And then if you compare it to other grappling dummies, the lack of limbs does limit the number of techniques that you can get reps on. You're not going to work your heel hooks and your kimuras using the motion master. On the pro side, it really does allow you to drill movements solo that you can never do without some sort of dummy. It's, it's a huge step up from you know putting a bag on the floor and sliding around on it. And it's super durable. You know, I've had mine for years. It's holding up great. I expected to have it for another five, ten years. All right. So it's no surprise. I said it from the beginning. This is really one of my favorite pieces of gear. Uh, if you're in the market for a grappling dummy, if you have the cash, if you have the ducats to throw down, Right, And if you have a regular workout routine and you want to take your solo drilling to the next level when it comes to sports-specific stuff, you want to take your cardio to the next level, the Motion Master really gives you excellent options to work with. Um, the price tag's a little steep, 300 bucks, but uh, I don't know. You spread that out over a few years, the amount of use I've gotten out of it, I'm, I'm nothing but happy with uh, the product that, that RevGear is selling here. So those are my thoughts on the Motion Master, my thoughts on, on supplemental training in general. Hope you like it. That was pretty good. All right. Time to wrap this thing up. My thanks and appreciation to everyone listening to the sound of my voice. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Hope some of my thoughts resonated with you, especially about the tap. Uh, but I do want to say that it, it isn't hard to find gyms out there with toxic training environments. Unfortunately, people have been bullied and injured and raped by their training partners and their instructors, and it happens more often than we'll ever know. Mm. And even as I I wax poetic about the trust and the support in this community. I know in the back of my head there are terrible people on these mats. They've done terrible things. And we can't turn a blind eye to that. And that might be something we talk about uh, in a future episode. But if you want to get in touch with me and uh, you have thoughts about how I can improve these episodes or if there's anything you'd like to hear me talk about in the future, please email me at the BJJ tap at gmail.com let me know you're listening or you can go to my website thebjjtap.com click on the link that says email the podcast my appreciation to everyone who helped me put this thing together matter of respect thanks again to you for listening talk to you next time take it easy folks